for half a century, WJPZ Syracuse has been the greatest media classroom on the planet. We've trained students from the 1970s to the 2020s on how to run a professional radio station. But the lessons learned and relationships formed go far beyond studios and transmitters. Taking a look back through the eyes of those who experienced it. This is WJPZ at 50. Welcome into episode number 69 of WJPZ at 50. <laughs> I am John Jagay, and appropriately tonight, we have a Friday night party reunion. We're going to try to get through this whole thing without anybody getting suspended. I hope we can pull this off. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have, from the class of 2001, Mike Cruz, Komar, Mike Komarinitz, pick your name, yeah. and Adrian Arenas, DJ AA. What up? And from the class of 03, Michael Eisner, a.k.a. DJ Splice. Welcome, everybody. In the place to be. Let's go. That's right. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks for the invite. Let's see. Komar, you're first on my screen. So tell me first how you got to Syracuse and how you found the radio station. Ooh. All right. So Syracuse, growing up in Binghamton, New York, it was always kind of on the radar. Yeah. Growing up, going to football games, going to basketball games, an hour and a half away. So Syracuse was always a thing. But then when I started figuring out what I wanted to do as a career and realized that, hey, you know, I kind of like public speaking, kind of like sports, kind of like broadcasting, kind of like writing, all of that. And I did my research. I'm like, wow, Syracuse is a pretty good place for that uh, with Newhouse. So it was one of these situations where I didn't exactly know what I wanted to do. It, it's funny. I thought I wanted to go into sports. I thought I was going to be one of those guys. on So ESPN. did everybody on this podcast, my friend. <laughs> and, and it's crazy how things worked out. Um, but it was a situation where I went to orientation. Dick Clark comes on the screen talking about Syracuse <laughs> university. And I'm like, okay, this is where I need to be. Uh, realized my hockey career wasn't, you know, going to go to the NHL. So that was all good. How'd you find the radio station? And I think it was actually my freshman roommate who saw a flyer or something and told me about it. And I want to say I even accompanied him to the meeting and wound up in Watson Hall. I think Spike and Pass the Mic were doing some sort of thing uh, right there freshman year. Uh-huh. Outside Lawrenson, were you there as well, Double A? Yes. So I'm like, who's this Pasta Mike guy? I thought his name was Pasta, Pasta. Mike. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was a situation where everything just kind of came together and wound up doing Fridays from 2 to 6 as my first legitimate shows overnights as a freshman because, you know, that's where you got to start. And four hours instead of two hours because it was a Friday night and no other freshman in their right mind wanted to do that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. So my shadowing, the first time I ever shadowed was with this guy, DJ Damone. Okay. Do we remember DJ Damone, anybody? Wow. DJ Damone, better known. You may know his other name. Damon Amendolara, uh, sports fans oh, out there. Oh, jeez, that's right. CBS Sports Extraordinaire now. Yeah. Morning show wow. and everything. So. I go in to shadow him. He was supposed to oversee me and make sure that everything went well, and he just left. I, I don't know where he went to get food or something. So he left, and then I kind of had to figure it out from there. So it's wild to know that Damon was the, the first guy, and then, you know, right into the fire. He kind of threw me right into the fire. And Komar, I don't know if you remember this. I believe you were the first person to air check me. Yeah, I, re- I wow. remember that. Wow. Yeah, I hope I wasn't too hard on you, you know? Well, it worked out well for all of us. Uh, <laughs> All right, let me turn to your classmate, DJ AA. How did you end up at Syracuse in the radio station? It was an opportunity that was offered to me when I was looking at colleges out here. Obviously, same sort of desires and aspirations that Komar had, right? I thought I was going to be a (laughs) broadcaster, sportscaster, all that jazz, right? And, uh, you know, Syracuse being one of the top schools in the nation, 
was, you know, at the top of my list. And I got a great opportunity to attend the summer program, which helped me with my financial aid. So I was at Syracuse six weeks prior to everyone else doing like an intense six week course with a lot of students out here from New York and, uh, you know, underrepresented community. So that's where I got my start. And then, um, yeah, I didn't get into Newhouse initially. Mm -hmm. Right. So I had to, you know, get the grades and, you know, do all the work in the first uh, quarter of the year to get into Newhouse. But I knew I wanted to do something either, like I said, sports casting or, or, you know, TV production. And I was at the same event at Lawrenson that Komar was at. I saw the same path to Mike guy. Who is this guy? And I was like, you know, as a DJ, right? I was a DJ. So I had DJ, you know, parties out here as a kid. Yeah. And I was like, man, this is, you know, let me see what this guy's up to. And I think he did have like a Z89 banner or something on it. Yeah, pretty sure. So I just went up to him and I'm like, dude, what, you know, what is this all about? I had heard about, what, W-A-E-R? Was that the, the new house one? Yep. Yeah. So I had heard about that. And then I saw this opportunity and he said, yeah, just come by, man. We're a student run radio station. Came by and I was like, this looks like a lot of fun, man. Like to be able to like run a station as a college student, you know? So that's how I got my first foot in. It was through Pastor Mike and knowing that he was actually a DJ doing the Friday night party at that time. I was like, yeah, this is this is where I want to be. So you guys had that same experience that so many other guests in the podcast have had where you talk about walking into that station and having that feeling, which is impressive because the station had just recently flipped back to Z89 from the Pulse right before the two of you got there. Yep. So we flash forward a couple years to Splice. You walk in the door and this would have been... Um, 99. About 99 is when I got there. Yeah. Tell me your backstory, your origin story. Okay, well, in my case, I was coming from Los Angeles, California. So I started in a very small private high school with uh, 54 kids in my graduating class. Wow. Now, you can imagine 54 split in half, half are male, half are female. Very small group of, of I suppose, kids, Yeah. you know, turning into adults at that time. I knew I wanted to, one, get away and go to somewhere bigger. So if that makes sense, like being in such a small school... Uh, there could be a lot of benefits, but it also can feel a little bit constrained. So I wanted to go to a big school. I wanted to uh, be a little more anonymous and I wanted to, <laughs> to kind of make my own way and a, a fresh start, all that. I'm scratching my head over you saying anonymous, but continue. <laughs> well, the thing is like when you go to such a small school, everyone knows your business. Everyone right. knows everything. And at those ages, if someone's touched a cigarette, then you know that was the person that touched a cigarette. If that person <laughs> had done something sexually. You're so like, that's what you did, Splice. No, no, no. I'm it's not terrible. saying I did any of this. I'm just saying that like everyone knew everyone's business. And this school was so small and intimate that everyone knew everything about everybody. And so it would be a little bit refreshing to go somewhere bigger where like it's a fresh start of something new and, and not everyone's going to know all your business, you know? So... I had always loved going to the East Coast. I always loved going to New York City. I did the college campus tour of Syracuse, and I fell in love with that campus. Now, I had done a bunch of East Coast tours, yeah. but that Syracuse campus, and I can say from a musical guy, walking around Marshall Street and seeing the bars and seeing you know the people on the streets and the music that was coming out of those bars... And the energy was a huge attraction. Like it was something I didn't see at some of the other campuses. So I was like, all right, I think I could fit in here. And, you know, made the choice to start at Syracuse. And leading into Z89, the freshman orientation, I believe there was a party. And I remember a good friend of mine from L.A. said, as soon as you get there, day one, try to join that radio station. Ask questions. See if they're interested and see if you'd be interested and it kind of took a little push from him telling me to do that. So when that freshman orientation happened and there were live DJs and there was a Z89 table, you know, set up, whatever it was, I was like a magnet to it. Like Zoop went over there and, you know, I kind of learned quickly that there's 
different on-air positions. There's yeah. board hopping, there's on-air personality, and there's mixers. And I wanted all of it. I wanted any of it. <laughs> I wanted to be at least on air. I know there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff, you know, operations and like administration stuff, but I wanted to be something on air. And that's what brought me to Z89. And it started with overnight board ops. Yeah, but he wanted to go straight to the mix show, if we remember that. Yeah, absolutely. Because by the time you get there two years later, Double uh, A and Comar, you guys have the Friday night party at that point? Yeah, at that point, it was passed on, yeah. Pastor Mike had left at that point. So he was a senior year, and then we took over our sophomore year. Sophomore year, Spike, I think he graduated. Uh, he had an extra semester. So, so then I wound up co-hosting with Pastor Mike and uh, Steele, Steve. Steve Salini, yep. All right, I'm trying to remember the name. I want to make sure I got that right. So yeah, it was he and I and uh, Pastor Mike. And you know, if you remember the old studio, we had... I don't know, cables running into the production room. For the turntables, that's right, yep. Yeah. And we didn't have turntables installed in there. It was a situation where you had to bring all the records in, you had to bring the turntables, you had to bring the mixer. What's funny, I talked about Friday nights when I first started. It was two to four, or two to six. It was my overnight shift, and that was directly after what? The Friday night party, yeah. So the situation, I just kept coming earlier and earlier and asking questions like, what, what is this all about? You know, what's, what goes here? What goes there? What are you doing when you got the, okay. So finally past the mics, like, listen, I can only teach you so much. (laughs) You know, you can only, you know, learn so much by watching what I'm doing. You should invest in your own stuff if you're serious about it. And I remember buying a Gemini Scratchmaster mixer from some guy on campus, some fraternity guy with a little sampler on it. For like a hundred bucks, something like that. Beer stained. And- <laughs> yeah, just whatever. I don't know what parties it had been through, you know, sort of thing. And then uh, maybe the first belt-driven or, or non-belt-driven direct drive uh, Gemini turntable, the 500 whatever that was, which you had to push it to start, you know, like whatever. <laughs> got one of those and I had a disman. I remember just practicing whatever records I got from past the mic, given to me extras, whatever they may, on the left side with the turntable, then the mixer in the middle, and then I had my disman on the right. Wow. Practice just trying to beat match and scratch a little bit, this, that. And then finally, you know, wound up saving enough enough money to get some techniques and, uh, you know, doing it correctly, that sort of thing. And and the rest is history, as they say. Komar, you're talking about two common themes throughout the podcast of wanting to get there and learn. And then also Harry used the phrase by hook or by crook, just figuring out a way to make it happen. So you're getting into this whole thing and learning how to scratch as a student. Adrian, you said you had been doing this in high school before you even got there. So how did you get involved with the Friday Night Party? And what was your story with that part of it? Again, I remember just talking to Pastor Mike and it was the same thing. I just wanted to be involved. Right. Yeah. And so I was like, all right, I know I'm going to have to do these overnight shifts. And, you know, I, I remember my first DJ name wasn't even double A, it was Slim. Oh, that's right. <laughs> it was Slim. Yeah, I remember that. Wasn't your AOL, your AIM Slim yeah, 416 it, or something like that's that? That's what I knew the name from. I remember your birthday that way. I remember Splices with the 33 from March 3rd. It's crazy. All these years later, yeah. based off our... AOL Instant Meshing screen names. What is that about? (laughs) (laughs) That is a timestamp to end all (laughs) timestamps. I love that. So tell me a little bit more about how you got involved with FMP, Adrian. I was talking to Mike, and then at that time, I think Cobra and I were sort of in the same stage as just trying to get involved, right? Yeah. And help out. And I think at first it was just, you know, doing board for him, right? You know, he was a big guy on campus. So it was just, again, learning, Mm -hmm. learning from from the guy who had the experience until the point that he left and the show actually became ours. We were able to sort of take over and do our own thing. And hope we didn't mess it all up too, you know? Yeah, no. And I think Komar and I sort of (laughs) took the lead there. And, you know, there was a couple of people that were still involved. 
But that's sort of how it happened. Is it was being passed down to us, right? I just remember being excited about the idea, like, wow, we're going to have like our own Friday night party radio show, you know? That was the beginning stages of it. And then obviously when Splice joined, that's when FMP came about. Um, not FMP, the triples right came about. From there, we just like, like Omar said, from, the rest is history, right? The rest is history. Yeah, the rest is a one show, two turntables, three DJs, uh-huh. <laughs> four hours nonstop. Yeah. So Splice, by the time you get there, these two already have the Friday Night Party. And then you kind of join as the third member. And that's where the triple threat starts, right? I do remember when I became sort of a member, I had to earn my way in. The first show was a four-hour show. I sat through the whole thing. The next week, I was allowed 1.45 till 2 a.m. I got 15 minutes on air. And the next week, I got 30 minutes, 1.30 until 2. And every week I came back, I get an extra 15 minutes until after a while, they probably had a discussion amongst themselves, the legends, Komar and Double A. He proved himself, you know? He proved himself. Yeah. So when you say on the air, 1.30, 1.45. Mixing, actually getting on the turntables, getting the permission, getting allowed to give it a try get on the turntables, and uh, do my kind of, my style of DJing. And had you had experience in that in high school before you got to Syracuse? Yes, but very little. I mean, I ended up getting the, uh, the turntables, the mixer, the DJ equipment, senioritis, second semester, senior year of high school, and then a couple months of summer, then it was Syracuse. And at that time, I didn't even bring the turntables. So the focus was supposed to be academics, so everything was left <laughs> behind. So my only time on turntables was with DJ Double or Komar at one of their places or at the radio station. You actually are leading me to the next question I was going to ask the three of you and whoever wants to take this is, for those listeners who haven't scratched, haven't mixed, they just kind of like watch in awe of the stuff that you guys do. What does it take in terms of the practice and the honing the craft? Like what goes into that? Anyone that wants to take that question? I'll answer that one because I remember when Splice came in, right? You know, I had DJed a few years, right? There was some scratching technique that I was doing. I think same with Comer. Like there's some scratching technique that we had, but... The idea of like advanced scratching, like when you're crabbing, Jag, and I don't know if you know what crabbing is. Explain that. Crabbing is you're taking the the uh, the fader, right? Mm-hmm. And with your fingers, you're creating a sort of like a systematic scratch back and forth, but it makes this sound, but you a very unique sound with the record. Okay. It's called crabbing. I didn't know how to crab back then. I still, I mean, to this day, I still don't know how to crab. And I just remember... Splice at it. Yeah, like I see seeing Splice trying it, you know, and I could tell that he wasn't there yet, right? But I'm like, there's something that this kid has. And I saw this like desire from him to want to be a part of what we were doing. And I see Splice now doing his Instagram videos and I'm like, holy <laughs> crap. <laughs> the growth that he's had over the years, right? Because this has been what, 20, almost 20 plus years, right? The growth that I've seen in Splice as a DJ, because he is a DJ, this is his craft now, Right is continuing to do this for a living is amazing. It is something that if you do not continue to practice, you sort of get rusty and you lose the, you know, the touch to it and the feel to it. Sure, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more with everything you're saying. And to answer your question, it takes time, it takes practice. And that's really it, it's muscle memory. And I remember listening to DJs on the radio when I first started DJing and feeling like a failure and getting frustrated. And a dad that was so supportive saying, just keep practicing, you'll get there. No, dad, I'll never be like these guys. I'll never be this good. I'll never be able to do what they're doing. And maybe still to this day, I haven't been able to, but I have improved. I did get better. And that was it. Like the simple advice, just keep practicing, you'll get there. That advice from my dad that was just, you know, imprinted in my brain was like, okay, just keep doing this because it does happen where like one day you're practicing and it doesn't sound good and you come back the next day after a couple hours of practice and now 
the muscle memory is better and you're quicker and you're better and you're faster. And the next day you're where you left off last time and it's just quicker and better. And you start to feel incremental improvements, even if it's 3%, 3% a day, it might feel slow. It's not that slow actually in the big picture. But if you don't have the patience for it, which my personality usually doesn't, I'm not the most patient person. <laughs> that was something where it took hours and hours and hours like that. We've all heard the 10,000 hour thing. So I'll ask you a loaded question while we're geeking out over scratching and mixing here. So, you know, when you guys are there 20 plus years ago, you're bringing in to the point earlier, crates of records and stuff like that. And now it's either CDs or was CDs. And now it's really two hard drives you can kind of have and you're loading up the decks virtually. You're not lugging in crates and crates and crates. Is that the way it's really done now, Splice, all digitally? Or is there a, still a home for using records? Or what's your opinion on that? I would say that no, it's completely all digital to the point now that even um, you don't need hard drives anymore. Like the technology has gotten to the place where you can stream. As long as you have an internet connection, your software can connect to many of the streaming services <laughs> that we all wow. know and additional <laughs> streaming services. You don't have to have a song in your library. I can pull up to somewhere <laughs> with an internet connection and a laptop and DJ a complete set not having a single record. That scares the hell out of me. Not having a single MP3. It's scary, but it's there. The technology is there. What if the internet connection buffers or craps out? They're thinking you're scratching when you're not. Obviously, they've thought of that. And like, what the answer is, is you can download the songs if you choose to. So you still have access to a lot of the songs. You're allowed a library of X amount of, you know, however many songs. Let's say a thousand. Yeah. And that's plenty enough to do a gig and get by. So you can actually have the thousand if you wanted to on, your, if, on the hard drive, but you don't need it. But yeah, the technology has changed tremendously. Nowadays, we're walking around with a laptop with almost an unlimited amount of music where that was never possible in those days. And, you know, we're telling the stories of we walked miles in the snow with crates of records. I was just going to say that I remember like in my car, I had a Toyota Tercel back then. Guys. I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> oh, yeah, I do. I would either pick up Colmar or pick up Splice and literally lugging crates of records into the station yep in the snow and we were like six eight crates of records and this was every single friday right all the equipment in take all the crates in once you were done at 2 a.m in the morning right mm -hmm. put it back everything in, in in the car take it back to your dorm room or to your apartment and now like splice it with the technology nowadays it's like laptop and then you got a mixer now you don't even need the turntables anymore because you have a mixer it's all you need Correct. You talk about the crates of records. You remember like a party at the country club and loaded up to the brim with the records, the crates of records, this and that. It's a situation where it's like, hey, can I get a ride to the club? And you tell your friends, now nah, you can meet me there and carry a crate of records in and I'll let you get in for free. But I have no room for you because I have records loaded to the entire car. Yeah. And another thing to remember, when we were organizing crates, one, we had to either get the records sent to us or buy the records, which cost a lot of money. And we had to organize mm -hmm. the records by hand, physically putting records in the order that we wanted to play them so we'd remember to have them, not forget to bring them, uh, you know, risk our fingernails getting dug into the, the little sharp pieces of the, the paper and the records. And nowadays, <laughs> you can be in bed comfortable organizing a crate on a laptop you know, with a fireplace going and, and anything in the background. And it's it's just different. Cue points and figures out the BPMs. Splice in his mansion in L.A., get the fire going. And, oh, yeah, I'm going to drop off some David. Get in here or whatever else. This is great. Set the mood. Oh, I love it. I love it. So a moment ago, one of you said the words country club. Yeah. And we've got some stories we want to get into with all three of you. Double A sent me audio of, how should I put this, a fake country club broadcast? Like, who wants to tell the story here? I guess I'll jump in here. So I think one of the things that we were very creative back in those days, 
you had to be very creative. You know, what we would do, right, knowing that we had this date at the country club where we were all, all three of us were invited to spin. On a Friday. We all came up with this idea of like, hey, how could we create something that sounds like we're live at the country club? Mm-hmm. And so what we ended up doing was we would record in my in my apartment on South, um, South Campus, okay? These guys would come over. We would set up shop right there. On the computer, I would run an audio of a crowd. (laughs) Yes. Ambient crowd noise in the background, right? We would put a little echo on the microphone. A lot of echo. And it would legit sound like we were at this club, okay? And so that's what you're probably going to run now was this this country club live broadcast, you know, that we recorded in my apartment. As heard on JPZ, recorded in DJ Double A's South Campus apartment. (laughs) You got it, got it. WJPC Syracuse presents the Triple, 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 Triple Threat. DJ Double A, DJ Komar, DJ Splice. One show, two turntables, three DJs. Four hours of non-stop mixing, cutting, scratching. The best in hip-hop, house, reggae, R&B, and Latin dance. Live, it's Syracuse's only on-air party. ZZZ09 Friday Night Party. It's brutal. I have so many thoughts right now. (laughs) Very subtly, the really sarcastic from Splice, Uh broadcasting live. (laughs) I'm full of shit and I'm coming out right on the radio right now. Make it stop. That's so brutal. Uh, I like the echo on the mics. Uh, Definitely a little clipped, a little overmodulated, yeah, yeah, but I guess you would yeah. expect that at a nightclub. So you know. Yeah, that was that was part of the trick. This was being recorded on a cassette tape, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. And someone had to flip it. Yes, yes. Yeah. We would have the producer jag at the studio, right? We would record this say like a week in advance, right? Yeah. I would go with two cassette tapes, so one hour on one side, one hour on the other side, and then the second cassette tape had three and four. Right. And then the producer in the studio would play the first hour. They would do some drops during the course of that one hour when we had some bedtime, when there was like 30 seconds of bedtime. Right, right. And then at some point, they needed to run the break so they could flip the tape over to the second (laughs) side. So then we play the promo of, hey, we're out here partying, whatever it may be. And flip over the tape. And I think there wasn't even a cassette deck in the station so we had to bring a cassette deck out there yes and then record the art you know take the rcas and throw it in the world feed panel or whatever and uh yeah pot it up turn it on there's definitely a little bit of heartbreak when a, a young dj realizes not everything is real and not you know like when we start <laughs> and i'm like wait so a minute what are we doing bring back wait, the curtain. we're gonna pretend to be recording a whole live show live from somewhere else pretend that's right and they're gonna play it that's right all right 
So you guys were all mixing live at the Country Club on Friday night while the tape aired on Z89. Yeah, well, we were used to that like once, a, I think once a semester, a couple times a semester. So speaking of things that we held together with duct tape and bubblegum, uh, yeah. let me ask you about the Ostrom House. Oh, Because oh, yeah. that was... Wow. Oh. Your guys' senior year, my junior year, Splice's sophomore year. How did you get the Friday night party on from the house? Yeah, it turned into the Friday night party party house. Yeah, because there's some oh. stuff. There's some, this is where we're going to get in trouble, and this is where you're going to have to cut each other off as far as uh, incrimination here, I think. For sure. Keep it PG, guys. There was definitely a, a less uh, seriousness at that house versus being at the station station. You know what I mean? It felt looser. Yeah. It felt uh, unregulated. It felt more free. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it was more combination cottage radio station and real radio station at that point. You know, and, and it had sort of, uh, we talk about... Z89 being like almost a fraternity for a lot of us. It felt like a fraternity house. That's exactly what it yeah, was. That's basically what it was. I had the unfortunate position of VP of Ops that year mm. uh, while this was all going on. And there was always this balance of this show is really, really good. So I don't want to like tamper any of the creativity and the on air product, but like. I'm not going to go to the house between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. on Friday night because there are things happening there that I'm better off not knowing about. <laughs> would you say that it, 20 years later, that would have been an accurate way to look at it? You know, I thought about this the other day. You imagine if everybody had that cell phone that we all do now with the cameras and the videos and the audio and whatever else. It was like Monday I'd come in and I'm like, could they at least have gotten rid of the beer bottles? Jeez. <laughs> Somebody brought a keg in one time. You guys remember that? I think it was somebody's birthday and somebody decided to, not one of us, but somebody decided to bring a keg in. <laughs> He's like got his finger in his nose, not it, not it. And then we're, we would all take turns DJing. So, you know, we I remember walking downstairs, like when I got off the turntables, you know, just to get a drink of water or something. And then there's water. A, a, yeah, there's a, <laughs> there's a big speaker set up. There's a bunch of people downstairs, and there's a keg. I'm like, what the heck is going on? Like, I mean, just to paint the picture, in this dingy old house on Ostrom, downstairs was like a living room, and that was kind of like where the exec staff would meet and all that. There might have right. been a computer there. But you had to walk upstairs to get to what was the on-air yeah, studio yeah. and the production studio. So I can't yeah. imagine what you had going on downstairs. Yeah, there was a, definitely a disconnect. We didn't know what was going on down there sometimes, you know? I know this. We definitely have our stories. There's no doubt we all know some of the stuff that went down. We do have our stories. But I think that it was interesting because we all started to, uh, it was a new, the attention we started to get was interesting. And it grew. At least it grew for my case from starting to like a year in and two years in. The attention we started to get AOL Instant Messenger was one of our, it was, it was active. You know what I mean? The phone lines were active and people that wanted to come visit us at the station started to get active. And I know that it was, it was a newer thing for me because it was almost like starting to become a little bit of a big fish in a small pond. Mm. You felt like a little, like a mini celebrity of sorts, yeah. right? Because you knew that you had like this following at that point. In our own heads, yes, you know. Yeah, no, of course, <laughs> of course. Um, but you know what I remember the most about Ostrom? And I don't know, Komar, if you were a part of this or not, but I think when we graduated, we did a 12-hour mix show. Yes, yes, yes. Oh my, I remember everything about it yes. with the pizza. A mixathon, yeah. With the pizza, the pizza guy showed up. 
Oh, yes, 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 yes. You guys are broadcasting from here? That's a real radio station? This is what I think. I think AA or someone reached out to get a sponsor and said, hey, would you guys be interested in sponsoring our 12-hour marathon? They said, we'll deliver two pizzas an hour for 12 hours. So it's 24 pizzas were coming our way oh to keep us fed. And they did it. Yeah. What other stories do you remember from the house that you can share? Yeah, no, I would say that, you know, when you have uh, college-aged people, men and women, hormones are going. We had, you know, we had female, <laughs> we had female guests. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? We had female, not guests, we had female co-hosts that were always like a part of the show. Um, there was a lot of storytelling. Yeah, I think they calmed us down after a while. I think it was good having sexy Steffi around and uh, Dara J because I think they kind of kept us in line, you know? Yeah, yeah, I think I think it would have gotten more out of control had they not been there. That's what I'm saying, that I think there was a lot of storytelling and they might talk about their boyfriends or their breakups or their, you know, love interests. And Yeah. No, you make a good point there, Splice, because it became a show. It wasn't just three dudes mixing and scratching. The on-air personality piece of it came out of it. Yeah, we, we wanted to have a party. I think that's what the Ostrom House brought to us is that we had the opportunity to invite people over. Right. So every Friday there was just people coming through, people from the town just coming because we would have something called like a wrap off or freestyle something. Remember, guys, we had a freestyle battle. Freestyle free for all. Was that it? Yes. Freestyle free for all. That's <laughs> it, what it was. It was a yeah. free for all. <laughs> yeah. And so we would have people come by and just, uh, you know, engage with us and, and be a part of the show. So I think that's what made it fun for us at that point. Right. It's just having that community of people, whether it was people from the school or people from the local area that were coming to, you know, be a part of the show. I am talking to the only three alumni of the radio station for which the house was a good thing. Yeah, no, the, the house was a good thing. I, I think this, when people think about uh, partying or degenerates, you think of sex, drugs, um, you know, rock and roll, you think of um, uh, alcohol. And I can honestly say I didn't see at least our show wasn't really exposed to that kind of stuff. Like, I don't think any of us were heavy drinkers, heavy drug users, heavy, you know, everything was moderate to less than moderate. I think we wanted to give the perception of the real party life. And this, in a way, was our way of doing a Friday night party. We got to enjoy our company, our bonding time, and also putting on a show with the um, presentation of that kind of thing. But I didn't see it a lot. Still to this day, I don't really drink. I think what you're getting at, Splice, is the appearance of a massive, like, blowout party. But I think in knowing the three of you, there was too much pride in the on-air product. I don't see any of the three of you getting to a point where you were incapacitated, where you weren't able to put on a good show. Right, right. Oh, never. Absolutely right. It wasn't a way for us to go use uh, the time as a getaway to just do drugs and drink, you know? We understood the seriousness of the situation that we, you know, what we had at hand is a station that's been there for years upon years upon years. A lot of people taking a lot of pride into it. I looked forward to Friday night so much and getting ready to Definitely. go down there and, and DJ for four hours and hang with my guys here and do that. And uh, I think wh- one of the things I took away from that is I think it was the first time I ever heard don't ask for permission, ask for forgiveness. Yeah, beg for forgiveness, don't ask for permission. Be- exactly. It's one of these situations where we understood the parameters, we understood what was at stake, we understood, you know, sometimes we had a, a bit of a, a strain here and there, but it was a s- situation where... Splice is falling out of his chair right now. Chair. <laughs> no, but we, but we, we knew where to push the envelope. We knew... <laughs> Like, okay, we got to we got to push it here a little bit. We got to push it there a little bit to, you know, make this something special 
beyond just the regular on-air product during the week, you know, but having a Thursday show and, and having that structure, having the formatics was also a blessing because then you were able to kind of rein it in and know exactly what a good structured sounding show would be. I think something important to note is that I think all three of us went on to legacy careers in music. And had we just been there for drugs and alcohol and girls and partying, yet, like you said, we cared more about the quality of the show, the quality of the product that we were doing. And that was, I think, the number one driving force. That's what mattered the most. That's why all of us ended up doing stuff in music for years and years to come. It's WJPZ. At 50. Hey, it's Jag. You're probably listening to this episode of the podcast because you know the person I'm interviewing. But one of the true joys of this project has been learning the stories of everyone in the WJPZ family. When you're done with this podcast, I'd encourage you to check out an episode with someone you don't know. You never know what you might have in common with your other WJPZ relatives. Looking back at half a century of broadcast excellence... This is WJPZ at 50. Splice, you're teeing me up for my next question. Tell me about your career after Syracuse. Well, my career after Syracuse was um, wild. It's been a journey and it hasn't stopped, which is really insane because a lot of times none of it feels real. It was leaving Syracuse and coming back to Los Angeles. And from there, starting to get a couple opportunities to DJ local nightclubs. And the thing about LA is there's a lot of action. Yeah. There's a lot of movie premieres and fashion shows. There's a lot of nightclubs. There's a lot of celebrities and celebrity birthdays and celebrity parties. And so by chance, I started to fall into DJing as a full-time career where I started to be able to pay my bills off DJing. Mm -hmm. And that meant doing events and getting residencies and working my way up like an infant back from square one. No one really cared about my background in radio or my background in Syracuse. No one cared really. It was just, you had to prove yourself again. And that's what I did. And what ended up happening is by luck, I would DJ at one place or another and certain say celebrities would be in there or writers would be in there. And I would start to get little blips and little mentions in the local when I say local, Los Angeles Times, the Us Weekly, the local write-up, you know, press. Mm -hmm. That led to me getting asked to be a guest on CNN Larry King Live. Uh, it led to me being asked to go perform in the, at the Grammy celebration, the official Grammy celebration, walking the carpet, limo passes, green room, wow. stuff that was out of my dreams. It was not anything. Now, DJing was a hobby, a complete hobby, right? What did you think you would do for full-time work? I don't know. I never really knew. My mom <laughs> is a lawyer and she went lawyer and judge. And, you know, my dad's in business. And I really always thought, well, DJing is a hobby and I love music and I'm so passionate about this, but I got to figure out what I'm going to do. And if law takes me in and, you know, that's the direction I go, then maybe I try to go be a lawyer like my mom. And a strange thing happened that when I started making enough money to pay my bills, I just kept sort of riding it. And, um, you know, from there it grew. And a lot of these opportunities led to opportunities around the world where the DJing and the performing started taking me to, you know, all over Asia at the time, China, Japan, Singapore, Malaysia, Taiwan, Thailand. And I'd be in Canada and Mexico, Romania, uh, London, Antigua, Jamaica, Maui, you know, many places I'd never been in my life still feels surreal. 
So one of the things they hammer at Syracuse, and particularly Newhouse, is network, network, network. I mean, you're kind of personifying that right now. You you meet people, you you build those relationships from starting out in L.A., and then you become this worldwide DJ, and you've gone to all these amazing places. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, you, was it Larry King's birthday party that you did that he ended up having you as a guest on the show on CNN? I did CNN Larry King Live's 20th anniversary party. He had been in the air for 20 years. They threw a party for him, okay, and I DJed the party for an hour. At Spago in Beverly Hills. And he ended up having you on the show, which had to be great exposure for you as well. That changed my life. What do you say, you know, obviously there are a lot of people who are talented DJs who can mix and scratch. How much of that is personality and reading a room and working a crowd? And what are some of the other maybe not as well-known skills that have helped you excel to this point in your career? Communication, um, values, ethics, character building, things that you work on for yourself are huge. Uh, they matter. Showing up on time matters. Making the client feel special and feel important and know that when you're there, you're there for them. You're not there for yourself. Yeah. Super important. Doing a good job is very important. You know, being um, well-practiced, well-prepared. Um, you can tell when <laughs> someone is either lazy, unprepared, not into it. You know, it doesn't take deep psychology to understand that this person isn't giving it their all when someone is passionate and they love what they do it shows and um i still think that like attitude does matter i don't know what the percentage breakdown would be yeah you know i go back and forth there's just times where i think you know man the djing is only 20 percent, and the people skills is actually 80 percent of wow, this okay you know it's way harder for me to get the job than it is to do the job and once i'm in there and once they already like you it's really hard to do a bad job. You can do an okay job, and, and that's, a, that's a great job. And if you do a great job, that's magnificent. I just wanted to add something about Splice, because I think one of the things, and I've known him for so many years, that Splice has always remained very humble. Mm -hmm. And the same humble kid that walked into the station that day is the same humble person that you yeah. see right now, Jack. And that sort of personality characteristic goes a long way. Right, it's the law of attraction. You can bring that energy to the space of people that you're surrounding yourself with. You're gonna get that back. Again, Splice. I just because I know his trajectory. You know, people don't know Splice has been around a ton of celebrities. Right, you could have easily said, you know what, I'm gonna go into the celebrity life, and this is the lifestyle that I'm <laughs> gonna live, and forget about Double A and forget about Comar. Like I'm the king of my castle right now. He was never no, like that. Yeah. Until this day, this man still refers to me with so much respect and admiration that I admire that back, right? And that's, I think, what kept, I think, all of us consistently friends for all these years, right? Is having that respect for one another, but we've remained humble individuals because of these. Yeah, we picked right up where we left off here. And, and I mean, Splice, it's one of these things where I remember when you came into the radio station at first, you know, as a freshman and just feeling that infectious energy. Like, it was just, I wanted to be around Splice and I wanted to, like, you know, what's this guy on right now? But it was just like unbridled <laughs> energy and just like, just having a passion for what he's doing and wanting to soak up what we were doing. And I mean, so the situation between the three of us is like, we were all learning different stuff from each other, where I may have been more shy, you know, like going into Syracuse University, like double A taught me to like stand up for myself more and be more, a little bit more aggressive sort of thing. Splice maybe taught me how, how to be a little bit more childlike and fun and just like, you know, have that energy. It was a perfect situation, perfect formula for not only a successful show, but even just leaving Syracuse University with lifelong friendships and just uh, lessons, that sort of thing. 
Jack, I think it's it's so special that you're doing this for us and having us all on. And I think it's a, it's a good opportunity for me to say that I probably wouldn't be the person I am without these two gentlemen because they changed my life. They were there for me as the big brothers I never had. They were some of the, the people that took in this kid that moved across the country, was scared to death of everything. And I'm still scared of a lot of stuff, but they were able <laughs> to take me in. And it was one of the first times in my life that I felt like I knew I was part of something special. I was part of something bigger than me. I was a little piece in like a legacy, yeah. you know, and I'd already heard about past the mic. And now these two gentlemen opened up their hearts, their homes, their arms to me. And all I could do is just do my best, you know, and leave the school doing my best. But, you know, as far as like where things are at, nothing really feels any different. Celebrities, actors, actresses, musicians, they're just people. And I know we all say that and we all hear that. And I've been exposed to a lot of it. And I, I still know it's just people. So it's nothing is any different. Like I have the same respect and love and value for all three of you guys, I do for anyone else that I meet out there. What you're all talking about is just something that's come up time and time again in 70 or so episodes of this podcast and how special the relationships are with people who were at WJPZ when you were there. I want to turn to AA and Comar in a second, but one last question for you, Splice. Sure. In 2013, uh, we were in San Francisco for Matt Del Signor's wedding, and it was Beth Berlin and Jana Fiorello and me and a few others, and I come to later find out that after the wedding reception, Beth and Jaina end up going to hang out with you because you've got a residency at some club in San Francisco. You remember that night? I remember that night. Not only do I remember it, but the real world was filming at the club that night. So <laughs> if you go back and watch one of the episodes of the real world, I'm definitely on there with a scene where one of the characters was jealous his girl was flirting with the DJ. And I'll say right now, there was no, there was no nothing on my end. You know what I mean? But yeah, that was amazing. Because it was so cool to reconnect with Z89 people, Syracuse people across the country in a completely different city than any of us live in. Yeah. But yeah, they came to the club. They were hanging out with me in the DJ booth. We had fun. <laughs> like, it was, it was the coolest thing. It was, it was amazing. And how many times did you have to play the same royalty-free music like 15 times? Because <laughs> oh. I've been there doing it down here in Miami, different shows, or like Undercover Boss when I was on the ship there. And I'm like, you guys are going to drive the people out of the club here because you got me playing some like BS version of like Black Eyed Peas right now, you know, sort of thing. That's hilarious. Stuff you learn uh, as you get into this field. Yeah. All right, Komar, Mike Cruz, take me through your journey after Syracuse because you've had some, some pretty big uh, stories and pretty big uh, gigs in radio. You're also not one to toot your own horn, but let's hear it. Okay. All right. Well, what's, what's funny is I wound up back in Binghamton, back in my hometown, uh, worked for a couple of stations there, but it was one of these situations where sometimes you got to go to grow. And I didn't even get full time. I got like passed up a couple of times for full time gigs in my own hometown. Wow. Wound up at a startup radio station that you're familiar with in Burlington, Vermont. <laughs> oh, that's right. So funny story. Mike Cruz and I both started at the same uh, yeah. radio station, 92.1 KISS FM, Clear Channel in Burlington. You had just left prior to my arrival there in March of 04. Yeah, I, uh, I had been, while I was in Binghamton and working for Wild 104 there, part-time weekends, I wound up do also doing a show at WKRZ in uh, Wilkes-Barre, Scranton, uh, 98.5 KRZ. Yep. And when their night guy left uh, to go to KDWB in Minneapolis, I got the call. Hey, what are you up to? How's it going up there? I'm like, actually, uh, you know, I wouldn't mind trying to see what else is out there and wound up uh, going to KRZ to do nights there. 
So you went from Bur- Bur- uh, Bur- Binghamton to Burlington to Scranton. And there for a couple of years, and then from there to Charleston, South Carolina, which I was there like four years. B92, another uh, top 40 station there. It was, it was a, I, another startup station. And after Kiss FM, I told myself, oh, I'll never go to like another brand new radio station again sort of situation. Uh, wound up at WIHB B92 in Charleston. Never been to the South before. I'm like, what's going on? Like, what do I need to know about the South? I called the Yankee every day for I don't know how long. And I'm not even from the city. And then from there, uh, down to uh, where I'm at now in South Florida. I can't believe I've been down here 13 years. So the longest I've, I've been other than my, my hometown God. down here in South Florida, first in uh, Aventura. And then from there to Miami Beach for a while, got my fill of that. Living in Hollywood, right down the street from the radio station, which is I'm working for Cox Media Group down here. And uh, on here and in Tampa Bay every day in the afternoon. Started at uh, Hits 97.3 here in town, Top 40. Then they moved me on over to the AC station. That means you're old, by the way. I, I, I try not to remind myself of that, but you know. Is you're, only, you're only as young as how you feel, right? And drink a lot of water. But no, I, you know, it's just, AC, it's, it's worked out great because the station ratings are phenomenal. It's 80s, 90s and more. So it's, you know, mass appeal, listening sort of situation. Doesn't help me get DJ gigs really, but, uh, you know, there's plenty. And I, I, actually it does. So, you know, it depends on the different, um, not nightclub gigs per se, but events, that sort of thing. And then, uh, weddings and then my share of, of DJing and Miami music week stuff. We were talking about the equipment and I, I still like using the turntables and Serato and stuff, my laptop. Some of these guys just show up with the USBs. I had to learn real quick about record box and, uh, the USBs when I wanted to play some gigs for Miami music week, you know, show up at the Clevelander or you know, live or whatever, and they're only playing CDJs, and I got to drop them in and, and do that real quick. So I've uh, been blessed, you know, DJ parties for Jennifer Lopez, been to Bahamas more times than I can count. A lot of stamps in there because I had a residency at Atlantis in the Bahamas. Yeah. That's so awesome. I met a lot That's of people awesome. out there, a lot of connections. And yeah, man. And, and it all started with the Friday night party, you know. And real quick before I turn to double A, Splice and Comar. During the beginning of the pandemic, we had two JPZ things going on because we had Scotty McFarlane hosting uh, trivia nights over Zoom. And then we had Stephen Kurtz putting together sort of over Twitch live streaming. It was like a four-hour yeah. Saturday night. It was Kobe, Stephen, or Tex, and the two of you, as I recall, right? Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, my wife and I, too. I mean, we're not going. We're sitting home. It's beginning of COVID. Nobody was going anywhere. Like, it was a great way to play some music and keep us entertained. Yeah, dragging out everything onto the patio so everybody could see the palm trees behind and get jealous and all that. It was fun. You know? That was cool of him to put it together because I, I wouldn't have done that without him. You know what I mean? Like, his little push yeah. was like, yeah, let's do it. Because what, what else were we doing at that point? And nightclubs weren't happening. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right, DJ AA, you have uh, made a couple references to the kind of person that Splice is and giving and getting energy back, and that kind of segues into what you're doing now. But take me through your journey since graduation. So after Syracuse, uh, I said to myself, well, if I want to go into radio, right, I know I'm not going to end up in, like, the number one market in New York. And I was like, yeah. I knew I didn't want to go, like, into a small town. I wanted to do radio, but realizing that I wasn't going to start in New York City, mm-hmm. I had to figure something else out. Right. And that's why I, I commend people like Colmar who, and you guys who have popped from these cities to cities to get to these markets eventually. Like, that's not something that I knew I wanted to do. And so I was fortunate enough to, again, 
Z89 having the relationship with Tracy Shalandis, who at that time was That's right. running promotions, right? We uh, became really good friends. She was working at Sony Music at that time and an opportunity to intern, to be like a summer intern. Um, and she's like, hey, you know, you should come check it out. You know, I love you love music. And that's literally how I got my career started was getting my foot in the door at Sony Music. That led to a job with Tommy Mottola's office, who at that time was the CEO. Wow. And that was just, I mean, mind boggling at that time. I was a runner. So my first job with Tommy was just running around New York City, delivering contracts or records or picking up things for his wife, Talia, or meeting up with artists to give them stuff, right? Or this is after he was married to Mariah Carey, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was after that. So that was during the 9-11 period. So I was a part of, you know, seeing all that happen. Mm. And got to rub shoulders with, you know, some big name artists, you know, Warren, Michael Jackson, Shakira. And I think to Splice's point, I've always been someone who I've never been starstruck by anyone, right? To me, they're like, they're just people. Yeah. And people who are going through their own challenges. They may have the most money in the world, but they've got their own challenges. Uh, So did that for a couple of years. And then I ended up moving into media. Went to work for a distribution company distributing telenovelas or soap operas. Yeah, yeah internationally. So I was able to travel to Nigeria. I was in Asia. Uh, we did stuff in the Middle East, um, distributing that content. Did that for almost 10 years. I was working for a pioneer in advertising and Hispanic advertising and working very closely with uh, our partners in Mexico, Televisa. Mm-hmm. And after the 10 years, I said, you know what? I've been doing this for a very long time. Digital started sort of, it was the proliferation of digital at that time, the Facebook, the social media. And I knew I wanted to just try something else. And that's how I ended up at Univision, which is the biggest Hispanic media company in this country. Yeah. Uh, you know, targeting all their content to U.S. Latino audience and uh, was there for seven years running the integrated marketing team, which, again, gave me the opportunity to attend, you know, massive events at Latin Grammys, you know, temples, music temples. Worked with the J Balvins, the bad bunnies of the world, right? Creating a branded content for, for you know, Fortune 500 brands. Yeah. And then in November of 2021, mm-hmm. seven years into that, I decided that I was just ready to do something different. And I think what COVID did to a lot of us, it gave us an opportunity to reflect and assess our life. Yeah. Right. Because we had all this sort of time enclosed. And I knew I've always wanted, I've always had this entrepreneurial spirit in me, you know, to like own my own thing and do my own thing. And so I parted ways with Univision in November of 21, got certified in life coaching or career coaching, executive coaching, started my coaching business, been doing that since September of last year. And now I'm also in the process of starting a marketing consultancy, going back to my integrated marketing roots and doing a little bit of that as well. So I see a lot of opportunity now in the marketplace for individuals like myself, you know, I think there's a need for people that have multicultural expertise, oh, yeah. mar- you know, integrated marketing expertise. So that's where I'm at right now. And I'm just pushing forward, you know, having that dream that I think a lot of us have to just, you know, have your own thing and hopefully be able to make a, a living. So is your ideal client somebody who's just looking to kind of figure out what they're doing in life? Or is it a, is it a CEO suite level executive? Who are you targeting? I tend to target high performers, right? So it could be someone who's two or three years into a, a job, right? They may be a bit confused or challenged in their role. They don't know how to grow within a particular company, right? So I like to target high performers. And I think ultimately for me, my job as a career coach or an executive coach is to help individuals tap into their full potential. A lot of us struggle with, you know, a lot of limiting beliefs and trauma that we've had, you know, growing up that 
hold us back as adults. And so my job as a life coach or career coach is to support them to sort of get out of these mental blocks that they're having and overcome those blocks and shift into a state where they ultimately see what's really inside of them, right? To really go and chase those goals and dreams that they're going after. That's amazing work you're doing. And it is absolutely needed in this world, especially as we're talking more about mental health and it's become a lot less taboo as we all get a little bit older and new generations come up that aren't afraid to say, hey, you know what? Put a hand up and say, you know what? I need a little bit of help here. So I I love what you're doing there. And you're perfect at it. Thank you. Thank you, Splice. What's the name of the business, Adrian? My company's called Double August, right? But my program, my coaching program is called Unstoppable You. Love it. Shoot me a link. I'll link to your business in the show notes as well. Absolutely. As we start to wrap up here, guys, you know, you talked about the deep friendship and relationship the three of you have had since getting together on the Friday night party. I'm wondering if there are any other names, uh, you know, folks from JPZ you stay in touch with over the years, connections you made at the station. I think you. I mean, we, we talk, obviously. You and I only recently connect, reconnected in the last couple of years, too. I'll explain that. You know, I back in 2016, I mean, some people know um, what I went through with colorectal cancer. Um, some people don't. And it was a situation where um, we talked about even the pandemic and just you had time to reflect during the pandemic and kind of just sit with yourself. And I had a lot of time to sit with myself when all that was going on. Sure. Uh, you know, it was a situation where I just started realizing certain things that meant a lot to me. And I, you know, reconnected with with a lot of you guys again, you know, WJPZ, you know, friends there and I was like, okay, once I, I'm well again, I want to make the you know effort to get back there and to give back and to also just be a part of those friendships again and just rekindle that. To Komar's point, sometimes we have to go through these experiences in life to sort of turn that switch on, right? And you go years upon years upon years without reaching out to people, right? That you sort of had a, a relationship or that helped you along the way, like someone like a Tracy, right? I still, every single December... I get her Christmas card, you know, and I, and I thank her and we connect, you know, we try to see there whenever we can. Right. But it's, it's those sort of friendships and relationships that go such a long way. Like I, I could tell you right now, like these dudes will be my friends and not even my friends, they're family forever. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the beauty. I think of what JPZ brought to us in our college years is those relationships. We all went through this experience of running this radio station as college students. Right. And that, and that's not yeah. an opportunity that many people get. Well said. Yeah. These two I talk to the most and then I try to keep up online with everyone else. All right. I know we've got an infamous Friday night party story that we're going to close with. But before we do, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you guys your opinion on where the radio industry is right now. We give everybody so many different ways to get in touch with us that it's a double edged sword. Yeah. You're working in a medium that's audio and you want tangible stuff on the air. So if you're talking about something on the air and somebody, they might be shy and they feel better like texting you. Hey, I thought it was really great. And then you got their number in front of them. Hey, can I call you to get you on the air? Uh, I, I feel like we got to find better ways to use that technology that we have at our disposal in order to put a product together on the air. Like ultimately we got so many different ways. I'm going to my meeting tomorrow and we'll be talking about digital and promotions and community and this and that and the next things. But you got to remember end of the day where your ratings come from and that's your on-air product. Right. You got to make sure that's solid. You got to be brilliant at the basics. Make sure you're putting on a good radio show, a good radio station together and everything sounds tight and, and good there if you're going to be able to sell the radio station to do anything else. 
And uh, you know, I, I think it's important to just never limit yourself uh, in, in what you do, like learn social media. If you're not familiar with social media, I see so many people on Facebook, you know, and they've been in and out of the industry or they've been out of the industry for a while now. And it's cause they refuse to learn yeah. to, to keep up with the industry. Spice. I do have some concerns about radio and I, I really am curious to hear what you guys think, because I have a, a recording studio in LA and all the artists that are in here talk about their Spotify their monthly listeners, getting on a playlist, not getting on the radio, but getting on a playlist, having dancers dance to you on TikTok, going viral on TikTok. How many Instagram followers do you have? How many streams does your song have? And really, I even broke it down, which streaming platform is number one. And unanimously, it's just been the only one that matters is Spotify, 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 Mm. Spotify. So, you know, coming from a history of radio, it's a little concerning that I haven't heard anyone say, all we're trying to do is get the song on the radio. No, all they say is we're trying to get this in this playlist on Spotify. <sighs> and also, if I may, just want, I wanted to answer the, the earlier question you asked about what we learned. And I just wanted to say I wrote some things down. Yeah. Uh, one was value and hard work. This is what I learned, especially from AA and Comar. Value and hard work, earning it. Like we talked about earlier, I had to earn the spot. And it was, it was a lesson in perseverance. The next is adaptability. Kind of more specifically, what I mean by that is if I was a piece of crap to them the whole time, all the time, it wouldn't have lasted. They wouldn't have liked it. I wouldn't have liked it. They wouldn't have put up with it. I'm not saying I wasn't ever, but if I was all the time, if I wasn't adaptable to work with their personalities and if the chemistry wasn't there, that wouldn't have worked. And the more you give, the more you get. Mm. The more I was there to give, the more they were willing to give me back. Sure. Well said. Last question for the three of you. What's up with bouncers kicking you out of the country club? Oh, boy. We went there. We saved the best for last. You want me to tell it? Go ahead, ahead, guys. You fill in the gaps, but uh, all right. So Splice, as you know, he's two years younger than us, right? We're in the club. We got all our records, our crates of records in there. Yeah, there exactly. He's putting the black X on his hand right now. <laughs> Did you have the black X on your hand at the time? Is that how they knew? Yeah, on the back of my hand. Huge Sharpie. Oh, boy. So Double A and I had the wristbands. He had the black X on his hand. You know, he asked me, hey, can you get me a, an adult soda? You know, splice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I, you know, I wrap up my set, Double A's DJ, and I'm like, yeah, let's let's uh, go go get something. I, this bartender's been cool to me. I don't think we'll get any flack over here. You know, thinking like we, at that point, we're like, hey, we're DJing the country club. There's a thousand people, as we said on the fake live broadcast below us. So, you know, we're the kings of the castle. Nobody's going to touch us. Everything's good. So we go over and I get him a drink and I get myself a drink and go back to the DJ booth. And not long after there, you remember how the bouncers at the country club, they're a bit of a hard asses, those guys. So they come over. They're just doing their job, I suppose. But they (laughs) grab the guy with the X on his hand. Who bought you this? Whatever. They look over at me. And proceed to kick us both out of the club, even though we're pleading, hey, we're, we're DJing. We're the guys who are uh, setting the tone. We don't care. We don't give a, you know. So we wound up outside. Our record's still inside. All three of you uh, got kicked hey, out? I need, to, I need to get my gear. No, d- double, a was, double A was immune from this one. No, no, no. I didn't get kicked out. I, I became the single threat. <laughs> Yeah, the single threat that night, he finishes the night. I, I want to say I, I, either you grabbed our records or somebody, a friend of ours, went in and grabbed them and, and you know, was driving because we didn't drive out there. We rode in your car, so we proceeded to hop oh. on the school buses that went back to campus. Got on the phone with, was it Amy who was running the board, uh, running the tapes for yeah. us? Yeah. 
Yes. We're like, hey, you need to put us on the air. And, uh, you know, on our cell phones or whatever, we're in the back. We're talking to these girls on the bus going back to Flint or Day or wherever they're headed. And we're like, yeah, can you believe they kicked us out of our own party? On the air. You know, we're on the air trashing them. <laughs> yeah, that was probably the, not the best move in the world. But, you know, we were, we were kind of fired up at the time. We're like, <laughs> they can't kick us out. Who do they think do they, they are? Do they know who you know, we so are? We're the triple threat. Exactly. Yeah. So we're all the single threat to, to Adrian's. But yeah, <laughs> that was probably the, the one and only time I was kicked out of a club. Oh, man. The one and only time? In my life, that was probably the one and only time I was kicked out of a nightclub. You know what's strange, too, about this whole story is that Josh Sagman, he, he was the promoter. He did all the different parties uh, at the time. Mm-hmm. When we had our next party, for whatever reason... They booked Splice and I, but not Double A. <laughs> Do you remember that? So I don't oh know how God. you would have thought it would have been the opposite. Like these two guys that got you know kicked out of the club. <laughs> the guys that got kicked out. They're, they're, let's get them to DJ and Double A. Like I don't know if the messages got mixed somehow. They thought Adrian had something to do. I don't have no idea how that even happened. So all of a sudden, Splice and I are the ones DJing the next party, and Double A are like, and that's so awkward. Oh yeah. Yeah, it was so awkward because you're sitting there going, uh. This is so weird. Like, you know, when you get the call, hey, we want you back at the country club. And I go, all right, let's do it. And then you find out later, oh, wait, it's just me and Komar. Wait, what happened? <laughs> he was asked, Double A was asking for too much money. Who did you piss off when they left you all by yourself? <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> it might have been a money thing. A, a lot of times. I don't, I don't, I, I don't remember no. that. I don't remember. I mean, I, 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 I'm like vaguely remember it. Yeah, you try to block that out of your memory. A lot of times it comes down to the money, man. Sometimes it just comes down to, that's the thing about being a DJ. <laughs> that may have been it, probably. That may have been it. Yeah, how do you judge your own value and how do you up that price? You know, like there is no set formula for saying, I want to get paid 500 bucks or I want to get paid 5,000 or 50. If you're a ticket selling DJ and you can quantify the amount, that makes sense. Yeah. But in our case, we weren't really privy to the numbers. We didn't know how much they were selling tickets for. We didn't know how much capacity was. Do you remember what you were getting for that gig? When we got paid? I had to chase people down a couple times. I remember that. A couple hundred dollars max, probably, yeah. But I remember this. For being a college kid, it was good money compared to what a lot of the other people were making for their jobs, being a waiter or a waitress yeah. or whatever else. I don't want to say, like, Ryan Blackwell threw me a few dollars, too. He, you know. Oh, is that a... Yeah, we DJ. you remember DJ and McNabb's draft party? That was That was another one. I have a picture that night with Komar. It's you, me, and McNabb that night. Right after he got drafted. He had the suit on. He had to hold his gin and tonic below the frame of the camera so it wouldn't show up in the picture. And you know what? That's something I do to this day. Whenever I'm being photographed with somebody, it's something I learned from him. It's funny you mention that. Like, I'll put my drink down or keep it out of frame because I don't want, like, a picture circulating where I got a drink in my hand at a nightclub or at an event or something like that. So that's, that's funny you mentioned that, yeah. And we learned that from Donovan McNabb. From D-Nab. Yes, we did. One thing that was cool about Syracuse <laughs> and Z89 is the campus was very active. And I don't know if it's still like that, but I remember it was active. We were DJing, and especially being Z89 DJs, we were Z89 DJs. We were DJing fraternity parties, sorority parties, rap battles on South Campus. Oh, we were man. DJing oh, uh, fashion shows. Double A was DJing with DJ Cash Money. They would bring guest DJs and guest performers. You did the dungeon. They, they tried opening a nightclub. On DMC. Right? The downstairs. Kid Capri. Kid Capri. I mean, it was oh, yes, so active yes. that being a DJ yeah. on that campus and being part of Z89, was just something special. It was different. 
And I remember like other college kids, friends of mine would like ask, how's college going? And I was like, dude, I'm having too much fun. Like every day of the week, there's something fun to do. And like, you know, they're sitting there like, yeah, yeah, same, same. But you can tell like ours was just off the chains fun. That is a fantastic place to leave it. The triple threat, DJ Komar, DJ AA, DJ Splice. Thanks for spending some time with us on the podcast and great to reconnect with you guys. We'll talk soon. Amazing. Thank you guys. Love, love, love. Thanks, Jack. The WJPZ at 50 podcast is created entirely by the staff and alumni of the world's greatest media classroom. It's hosted by John Jag Gay, class of 2002. Editing help from James Bames Grundy III, class of 2020. Imaging by Maureen Cooper, class of 1999. And Ed Lacombe, class of 1985. Podcast artwork by Marty Dundix, class of 2001. Follow WJPZ at 50 on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you're listening right now.